Game begin. Hello and yeah. welcome to Spike Colony, episode nine. I am here with the Filipino juggernaut, Michael J. Flores, and you can't throw you're words here like- with the Chinese juggernaut, Lanny Huang. You, you the German juggernaut is having a pretty good weekend. It's like juggernaut around this week. <laughs> this is not the week to be invoking the name of the Teutonic 5-3. That is not blocked by walls. <laughs> or anyone, apparently. Evidently. Uh, yeah, Kai, Kai Buda in the top eight of a pro tour. What year is this? I don't know. So I think, I think it's been 11 years, I think, since his last pro tour top eight. Um, I have to imagine he was a little bit unnerved by Nathan Stoyer uh, running and oh, running back to back. I see. Oh, wow. He's defending the turf. Yeah. He's he like defending the turf. It, it's funny because if, uh, you say something silly like, oh, it's been like 11 years since Kai's won. I mean, it's been in top eight, I think. Uh, and then the next sentence you have to say is Kai won more pro tours in one year than anyone else has ever won. Yeah. <laughs> Some total of one pro tours by anyone other than Kai is less than the number of pro tours Kai won in one year. Yeah. So three, three, it, three months of that year is a pro tour as a hall of fame resume. <laughs> yeah. So like, so and it's not like he didn't have countless other top finishes. It's just, it's, Oh no, no. Yeah. Just, I just saw one enough pro tours in one year that Eric danger Taylor had to eat his hat at a grand prix. Yep. Yeah. Um, other funny thing was just like, Kai was just playing in nationals. They're like, Oh, it's not like he's just going to win the nationals. He won the nationals. Like, just <laughs> Kai. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this. This is like this. Can you just imagine if we have like, um, well, there's going to be worlds, right? Nathan's going to be at Worlds. That's what we're going to have a Kai and Nathan Worlds. Can you imagine? I mean, I think some of it's just kind of BS, right? Like, um, Pro Tour Dark Ascension, when John didn't block the Wolf, and then Kibler won his second Pro Tour instead of PV winning his second Pro Tour, right? So I said I would much rather the headline was, you know, my very good friend, uh, Brian, and, and former teammate on the you know, both the Underground and, and Team Red Bull Pro Tour Hall of Famer, Brian Kibler winning his second Pro Tour to me was a better headline than um, PV beats John in the Battle of the Goats, which is what would have happened, right? Like, John had huge deck advantage, and I think, I'm sorry, PV had deck advantage, and I think was on the play. Um, and But then, like, everybody just discounts, like, when John just beat PV in other top eights after that. Like, they just ignore Milwaukee. Like, they, they played, and it was like, no one said anything. <laughs> but then, like, years go by, John is retired for the third time now, and just PB's just racking up his world championship win. And I was reading the bios before this Pro Tour, and it's just like, oh, well, it took until last year for PB to finally be the only one to catch John at 17 top wins or whatever. Like, you, I mean, no offense to PB. PB's obviously got a great resume. You can't count a 16-person tournament as... <laughs> A top win. John also won a world championship. He beat he beat Bob Maher in the finals. And there was two hundred players in that one, not sixteen. I mean, 
come on, man. That's not this. It's uh, no, I'm not taking anything away from PV. Those are not the same. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a little tricky when the formats change over it's the years. Tricky stuff. Stuff gets stuff gets rebranded, and then you know he beat Bob Maher in the seventy-four card Tinker Mirror match and coined the John Finkelism of like never losing focus. Um, actually, he's not. That's that's Kai's. Is never losing focus. John said, <laughs> John's is uh, Kai certainly hasn't lost focus. Yeah. So John's was I win because I pay attention and. Um, that and he coined it at that at that world's win and then later i talked to him he's just like look man people are always asking me for a sound bite so just say something right it's, <laughs> it's like i don't know why i won but i had to say something the interviewer asked me i mean people have people have P, uh john over pv like i, I don't think i don't think anyone oh, i mean like it's always but, just like kai john john kai kai john i, I, I mean like look I'm the it's gonna be a, the it's biggest. gonna be stoyer time John drum beater, right? And like, but John said the smartest thing, you know, a few years ago where, you know, he, he was just like, oh, who's the second best after John, right? That was the question. And John always said Kai was the most statistically improbable Pro Tour player. It's just like, Kai is much more statistically improbable than John was. Like, John, Kai is like Wilt Chamberlain. You know, Wilt Chamberlain played over 48 minutes a game and it led the league in assists. Uh, he didn't win the MVP in a year that he scored 50 points a game and <laughs> 27 rebounds. So like, he's like, I mean, you people are just prejudiced against Wilt Chamberlain. Like he didn't win the MVP that year. Right. So, um, and he's like, no, that that's Kai. Right. And so, and, and John always said, um, rather than talking about him and Kai, and at this point they were in, they were in the Pantheon and, and both, you know, somewhat active in Pro Tours. When I say somewhat active in Pro Tours, John was still, as a Pantheon member, scoring about a Pro Tour top eight a year at this point. Uh, he said there's no point in talking about him and him and Kai that Reed, Huey, or Owen was going to be was going to be considered the best player of all time at some point. Um, and uh, that's probably not going to happen, at least because Huey, <laughs> Huey can't Huey, yeah. longer eligible, and <laughs> Owen is. For different reasons, less eligible. But Reed won a pro tour this year. Yeah, Reed's. But yeah, yeah. He said, he said, don't, don't talk about me and Kai. He said, yeah. it's all right. Be, so we're talking, we're talking Reed, PV, Stoyer, Nasif, LSV. Yeah, well, yeah, Stoyer hadn't come out yet, man. Stoyer. Yeah, LSV says you know people have burned hot as Stoyer and then burned out, but I don't think anyone's ever burned as hot as Stoyer except Kai. Yeah, and. You're right. Kai came out. Kai's it's Kai's defending the turf. Yeah, yeah. I love it. He's got um, he's got a he's got a phone on his desk that just that only rings once every ten years, and it's like Kai, <laughs> they're starting to doubt you. We need you back. We need you back in. Literal on the same team as those legends on you know when the when the Pro Tour Hall of Famers kind of started playing together. 10 plus years ago um but you know he's 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 kai man yeah he's, he's kai i mean if kai wants to win is different than kai shows up like <laughs> once once i was at I, I was at some pro tour and I, I hadn't seen kai and i was like i was excited i'm oh kai you're back what are you playing and he shows me this deck and it's got like all different rorixes he's playing a deck that probably be legal and pre-modern right now i'm like what does this deck do and he's like well you, you ritual out of buried alive 
what are you buried alive for? He's just, I don't know, like some Rorix, Rorix, <laughs> some Rorix, and like Rorix Blade Wing. And I'm like, what is, I literally said, what does that get you? And he's like, I don't know. A bunch of dragons. Clock. He said, I don't know. <laughs> a three turn clock. And he just like <laughs> shrugged it. And I'm like, Kai, this is not the Kai, you know, that was possible. He's like, it was, it was not the Kai that wanted to win. Um, but you know, he, He's always been there, and sometimes he was reanimating Rorixes. Hey, look, you, well, it's important to have fun. It's important to have fun, yeah? But it was just such a hilarious answer. I don't know. A three-turn clock. Um, <laughs> uh, and and we, have, we can't uh, fail to mention Javier Dominguez as well. Oh, yeah. Also, you know, the fervent champion. The fervent champion. He's in the top eight. This is this is he's rounding out to be a sweet one. He's real good at Magic the Gathering, I gotta say. I have a I have kind of like a sad anecdote, which is that uh, Dominic Harvey, Canadian Magic grinder, uh, known for his prowess with the Amulet Titan deck, was going to grace us with his presence at LobsterCon this year, were it not for the RC being on the exact same day, and uh, that RC qualified him for the PT, and now he's in the top eight with the PT. Uh, Thanks to some draw shenanigans uh, between Alexander Hain and his opponent. I, um, I'm very sad about that. Alexander Hain would have loved to see him in this top eight. Uh, if for no other reason than he is among the greatest Flores fans. Uh, <laughs> I know you think, I know that you think that uh, you're a great Flores fan, but when you win a pro tour and attribute it to having read a hundred Flores articles in a container ship while crossing the Pacific ocean, then you get to be in the Alexander Hain category. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe one day we'll have a pre-modern pro tour and uh, that'll be my time. Um, yeah, but so Kai is playing a card that costs UU three, draw three cards at sorcery speed, which is comparable to the, uh, uh, and somewhat worse uh, as, a, as a hard cast to the card concentrate, which is that effect for, for four mana instead of five. Notably, Kai won a pro tour with, concentrate in his deck yeah it took them a while to fix ancestral recall but they finally they finally got it in um geez was that printed in odyssey well i, I mean say? kai's playing in 2023 at five minutes so yeah um yeah so uh fun week in pre-modern uh everyone still uh waiting for the meta shakeup following land taxes ban uh my personal opinion is that while the fun police has lost one of their officers. They are uh, not looking to promote any trainees to a new position. Um, the good decks are still good. There's some rumblings that Mono Black might be back back on the menu. Uh, when you say back on the menu, didn't it have to have been on the menu at one point to be back on the menu? Yeah, I don't think too highly of that deck, but there are uh, at least a few individuals who but are under we- the imp- yeah. Before we talk about serious pre-modern, I just want to talk about old magicians for a second. Okay. One more time and then, so um, Shaheen Sarani, the expensive sorcery master. Uh, do, do you know the story of how he got the nickname expensive sorcery master? No. Uh, he's playing it like in some international pro tour. It might have been a Worlds in Japan, and um, it doesn't. So he doesn't speak English. But Kenji Samura like recognizes Shaheen, doesn't know his name, and he's just like, uh, uh, expensive sorcery master. <laughs> so like. He got the nickname Expensive Sorcery Master from the great Kenji Samura. Giant Sarani uh, hanging up. He, he officially retired from Star City Games after 17 years as a writer there. Um, so I, I, and he, 
he wrote a very nice thing about how I kind of got him on the national stage and everything, and he parlayed that into um, it, from reputation standpoint, right? I'd written about a lot of his stuff at local level uh, tournaments, and he got noticed by guys like Frank Carson, and then eventually became a writer in his own right, as well as a, a much more substantial and successful uh, SCG grinder and Pro Tour player than I ever was. But um, you know, he's hanging up the the boots, I guess. So of course, I immediately texted him, and I'm like, Shaheen, hanging up the quill or hanging up the wand? He's like, hanging up the quill. And then he just starts listening about how he's not hanging up the wand because he's going to play arena or whatever. And he's like, you know, like you know, like I hung up the wand. Like, I, I was still playing up until like two months ago. I was playing like DI arena, right? And I'm like, let me tell you a little something about pre Yeah. And he's just like, wait, what is this? And then like, I gave him the boot camp, and he's just like. Oh, I think I might have unhung up a wand. <laughs> I'm like so happy. Look, Shaheen, blue white is one of the strongest decks. <laughs> you can play expensive sorceries in this format. But he's just like, just like, look, do you play IRL? And I'm like, New York is a really strong community, so I just play IRL, right? But the rest of these yahoos around, around the world, they play on webcam. <laughs> and he's just like, webcam? What's this? Nice. And then, so. We were exchanged a lot of texts yesterday, and his last one to me was just like, this might get me out of my PhD, Joel Gross. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He's a, He's a good one. He's a good one. I think, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, look, if you're close to Shaheen, um, it says on Twitter here that he's in Virginia. I don't know, man. You don't know? I, I, know, I know. I know. Like, I, I know. She, so Twitter says he's in Virginia. We got Brad Nelson hooked on Premodern Virginia. Uh, I have friend of uh, myself, um, Anderson LeClaire, the who the f- is Mike Flores. Oops, God, I got to bleep something out now. <laughs> who the heck is Mike Flores? Um, uh, Zoomer. Uh, Wait, so some Virginia. Zoomer who doesn't know who I am is a friend of yours? I uh, think yeah. you better choose better friends in one direction or the other. I mean, <laughs> you pick I mean, a direction, buddy. We, we uh, you know, he, he, he learned, he learned quite quickly after that tweet. Um, I mean, uh, in any case, also Virginia. So I'm I'm starting to see that you know maybe Virginia can can you rise up. Pre modern hub. Yeah, for for pre modern, why not? I mean, there's there's a ton of magic players there. That's for sure. So so here here's the thing we were talking about on our list. Uh, and I like this idea. And so I don't know I don't I don't know if we can, you know, steal some of Martin Berlin's thunder. But what about pre contemporary? We yeah. start we start at wherever uh, pre modern ends, right? Which is the dawn of where uh, yep, modern edition yeah right so we're modern starts and then we cut it off at 2018 right so we just do those years right so that's like about 10 years yeah just cut it off at, tw- at 2018 so it's uh it's actually it's 15 years it's 2004 ish to 2000 i would uh i would like try to sneak in where the spark under i mean we've been talking about it in the pre-modern i like to fairy but there's so many things that you just don't get that ruin your life if you cut it off at a certain point. Like, I don't want any Hogax. I don't yeah, yeah, want, you just cut it off right before lands, Modern Horizons. You know, like, uh, and I don't want, like, I don't want any of this fire design, all these years yeah, where 14 so, cards a year we're getting banned. So the reason I have it is just pretty selfish is because Niv-Mizzet Reborn is printed in War of the Spark. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm not really interested in pre-contemporary, modern, whatever you want to no, call it's it, a pre-fire. Idea. Pre-fire Whose modern. Idea was this? It's uh, Francisco's, yeah. Yeah, so Francisco was getting who... wind of uh, classic legacy, and he was like, "Why don't we just do classic modern?" 
and I was pre-contemporary. Just, yeah, yeah, you heard it here first. Okay, okay. Mike, Mike is Mike is naming it. We'll call it pre-contemporary. Uh, I mean, you could just call it pre-fire, pre-fire modern. Pre-fire. I like pre-fire. Um, naming between pre-fire and pre-contemporary poll will be going up shortly. But um, so pre-fire, um, like Teferi is probably the biggest offender, but you get into Misery Born. Uh, Francisco wanted to cut it off pre faithless looting and um, pre like creeping chill and I'm just like Fran like <laughs> hey man Arclight Phoenix Arclight Phoenix Tron Dredge Amulet Titan like uh Death Shadow Burn like this is this is the best modern ever was like blue white control all of these decks are if are you want to cut awesome. it off before creeping chill you got no arguments from me, but you're going to have a worse format because if this is a real format, then there's going to be a best deck. And without Creeping Chill, there's nobody's going to hold it back. Because uh, all the cards that made the other decks able to beat this deck were printed after 2018. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think during that time, the strongest deck in Modern was, um, was Arclay Phoenix. Um, by by a pretty good amount. I I never lost a single match to that deck. I considered it. Well, that's easy, because that's because easier burn to is... curdle than <laughs> Death Shadow, which is easy to curdle. Yeah, but I mean, uh, by all means, that's that's Reed, why Reed Creeping me, Chill is there to keep you down. Reed told me to play like two. I, I, I he said, why don't you play two? Uh, what's the Phyrexian or B uh, RFG something from the graveyard and then you RFG it from surgical extraction. Yeah. He said, we just played two surgical corrections in your sideboard. I'm like, why is like for arc like Phoenix? I'm like, I've never come close to losing to a deck with Arc Phoenix. <laughs> and so I was play testing with D Tau at a Grand Prix actually. And he was playing an arc light Phoenix deck. <laughs> I was playing my burn deck and he looked at me and I think I went like one seven games in a row or something. And I'm like, let's just keep playing. And he's just like, your deck does everything my deck aspires to do. But I keep taking twenty damage, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not trying to attack you with a three-two for four. I think that's that's part of the reason. <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm enjoying your axis of evaluating decks on based on how good they are against burn. This actually carries over to pre-modern. That's so how I. I'll have you I know that decks. that aforementioned. Burn, <laughs> I, I don't like that person. Yeah, mono black deck not very good against burn. Um, but uh, we did recently have like a mid-sized tournament in California where the finals was zombies versus zombies. Um, so a little bit of excitement there. Not good against burn. Also not good against burn. Yep. All, the, all these decks are not good against burn. Um, Aaron Dix is, of course, salivating over the land tax ban. Uh, so, he is very happy for you to run whatever you think is good now into his burn deck so that he can show you a thing or two. The thing that makes me so... I, I was going to I was gonna invoke the name of Dix myself for a different reason. Because probably the third biggest proponent of Mono Black Zombies in pre-modern is, in fact, Aaron Dix. Right? So you've got, like, Robin, Mano, and then Aaron Dix, right? Aaron Dix is, like, a solid number three lover of the zombies archetype. And he's just, it's so polarized because he's just like, I love zombies. I love to play against zombies. Yeah. I, I yeah. love zombies. <laughs> Whenever zombies are involved, he's, he's, I just love it. I love either bad. side. And he always plays it on day two of LobsterCon. So he played at day two of LobsterCon last year. Um, you know, he didn't do very well with his uh, bubble burn on day one this year. Uh, but, at, you know, he loves the zombies deck and he loves beating the zombies deck even more. Yeah. I mean, that's super good. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
people are like, oh, creature decks will get better. It's like, well, they were already good. Like elves and elves and goblins was already super good. Um, if anything, they'll just get slightly worse because uh, the lack of parfait and the rise of burn is just going to make it harder for elves and goblins to do well. Um, assuming, of course, you are not a sort of tactically or strategically well-prepared goblins player because we did a little in-house testing of some goblins versus burn and it seemed a lot closer than people would have you think so i i'm gonna be the contrarian for once you know, I know <laughs> just one first time doesn't come up very often i don't know aaron was the one who told me that goblins versus burn super favored burn and that didn't surprise me aaron thinks a lot of decks lose to burn right but it never made sense to me that goblins should lose so handily to burn. I thought it'd be pretty close. Maybe burn is a slight edge. But um, I've lost to goblins with burn multiple times personally. And in testing, if I'm on the goblin side, I think I win two-thirds of the games against game ones against burn. I think burn says nothing to get better after sideboarding. Um, I watched Fran lose a camera match, and it took me it, with the goblin side. And he's like, oh, no, 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 yeah, goblins can never be burned. And I'm like, Fran, do you not know that your gem palm incinerator is turned on by his Mog fanatic? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you took 12 damage one game that you didn't have to take. Like, you literally could have just killed this guys with your gem palm incinerators. Yeah, goblins and, on the battlefield, yeah. folks. <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, no, I couldn't play any goblins because he had Grim Lava Mancer. I'm like... Yeah, that's not how that works. <laughs> he, he rolled the tape back. He's just like, I should have won. I'm like, in fact, you should have won 2-0. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I'm telling you, I think Goblins is A-OK -okay against Burn. The Smiths Brothers played it, right? At Lobster. Uh, they did indeed. And I think um, it, it definitely was close and uh, came down to... Uh, I mean, they, they had uh, known exactly what they were going to do post-sideboard. And I think that... Uh, the Goblin Vandals from James Smith's over um, Mogs did not do him any favors in that particular matchup. You you got to deal with your Lanny Huangs, and Rishes. you got to do what you got to do if Lanny Huang is in the tournament. And one of the things you could do is play Sam Black Parfait instead of regular Parfait. And another thing you could do is just get Parfait banned. And then <laughs> all bets are off. What did you play this week uh, at the Tuesday tournament? Uh, Tuesday tournament, I played Hermit Feb. So on Hermit Tuesday Feb. here in uh, New York, uh, David's just like, what are you going to play? And I was like, I don't know. What are you going to play? So David uh, had on him Burn and Hermit Feb. And I was like, I think if you play Burn, I'll, I'll try your Hermit Feb deck. And he was like, I want you to do that very, very much so. And I was like thinking about it and I was like, well, the first tournament you ever played with this deck, you won. So, you know, whatever. Um, I don't really love the deck. Um, and you got into a rules fracas with Pog, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because he cheated, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. We won. We won. Get Pog. Get him. <laughs> so, Pog. So, I was late. So, I thought Pog might not be able to play um, because I was late and I was I was going to give him my landstill deck. So, like, I'm just, like, texting him all these apologies, you know, like, I'll buy your nuggets or whatever. So, then, like, between rounds, you know, I, I I bring him the freaking plate of nuggets, right? And I'm like, just don't eat these nuggets with your hands and then touch my magic cards. And I'm eating my nuggets off to another table and I look over and I'm like, I, he has like a thousand dollar deck in front of him. Like all like Winter's Mistress Factories, everything. I'm like, I just asked you to not eat the nuggets with your hands. 
and then touch my magic cards, right? And and then I'm just, just I'm just like, Arr! this is way worse than the Shieldreds. That's not even bullying. I asked him not to do it. That's true. That's true. That 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 is not a good show of respect from from Patrick's side. So. Um, yeah. Um, either way, Hermit Feb was pretty cool. I went three and one. I lost to goblins. I uh, sent the a photo of like my turn one board state to um, the Discord, and the Hermit Feb cabal, uh, you know, went ahead and explained to me uh, how I I probably could have done things differently. Um, but uh, all in all. A uh, pretty cool deck. A lot more mana intensive if you don't take the Hermit line uh, than I thought um, because I was like, well, the combo turn is like five mana or you have like a Palancron or whatever, but the setup turns uh, are like a bunch of mana too. Like the turn before you combo, like first you put your two mana into survival of the fittest. Then you put your like three-ish mana, like picking up uh, trikes and devourers and like maybe a squee if you need your squee and a palancron to so like get you three more mana and like maybe an elvis spirit guard so you can take a down payment on mana one turn before the other and then your combo turn is like you know between three and five mana um and then also your gemstone mine can't like go to the graveyard during this time um which would be really bad because uh you know your Valra sheep won't be a gemstone mine so anyways i was just like oh this is like a blazing fast combo deck and I started like trying to play out the combo and I was like, man, I need like, I need like 10 mana over the course of three turns to like do this so, thing. I was just like, so, what was Pog's second meddling mage on in the pivotal game? The first one was on Volrath Shapeshifter, right? Yeah. I think he named Shapeshifter. Um, and he the second I one, I told him to, and I didn't, I just didn't realize I wasn't respecting your match. I, and I, and I the, just, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's casual. Yeah. Obviously don't do that, but like, no, you shouldn't do it. I, yeah. I was being an asshole and I, I think, totally didn't mean I think his uh, second mage was naming Unearth um, because, uh, you know, I like he was like, how does a, uh, it was either naming Reclamation or Unearth. And he was like, how does the um, how does this combo like how does the Hermit combo work? And yeah. I was like, these three things happen. And he's like, OK, I'll name like Unearth or whatever. So the, so from your spot, you could have just because you had a squee, right? I had some number of you, things. It was it's pretty just, hard to recreate that spot. So yeah, I, yeah I was Pog was playing I, blue white land still. He had two meddling mages. He sent in the two meddling mages because I was like getting low on life, um, and I got to catch uh, a block with my G two fire slinger or whatever. That yeah. was gonna have an echo payment too. So what you could have done is uh, survivaled for elvish spirit guide and survivaled for Volrath shapeshifter. G two slingered the one on shapeshifter. Held back to block for one turn and then just hard cast the Volra the shape and he has a top deck right uh, to to win but you could have just shapeshifted for for the hermit combo kill that turn um, and then you would have had cabal therapy to clear the way yeah I had uh, a but, hermit druid on the table this turn <clears throat> so I was kind of tunnel visioned so um, yeah so David agreed with me he's like yeah th that was the I thought that would be a, a good line to win but instead you took other some other line that took two more turns to win yeah something you did in fact win though. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it, it was like a pretty finicky. Also, like I think that the deck is kind of in a weird spot where like the amount of brain power you need to uh, locate these lines, uh, you know, under any regular rules enforcement, you would probably just be called for slow play like at every turn because you need about you need about like five minutes, uh, you know, over the course of three turns of, of, of a game to kind of figure out what you're doing for the most part, which is um. Slower than the allowed pace of play. But in any case, still a cool deck. 
lots of respect to the people who have even uh, a small amount of mastery over it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of incredible because I think the deck is so like opaque and so like difficult to navigate that even the people who've like put in like, uh, you know, a hundred or a thousand reps, just like an incredible amount of reps, uh, you know, still, still find themselves making mistakes. So uh, I think it's, uh, maybe that's the deck I should give to Z. Yeah. Z that, once, yeah. Z once said if he had to play in a PTQ to qualify for the pro tour again, he would love to play full English breakfast and the versions of full English breakfast he could have played when he made that statement, which was 24 years ago or so were far less complicated than this version. So I think maybe he'd really enjoy it. Um, yeah, sounds so, like it. Uh, shout out to, shout to did he did he register? Um, I don't know. He said I, it. It sounded to me like uh, he would register if uh, if somebody give him a deck. Yeah, and but so, you have to you have to you have to nag him because we have nine spots left. So we're not just anymore. Land took one of the spots. Yeah, so we probably have eight spots left. So I, I would guess there's fewer than eight spots because I posted that there was nine spots within five minutes. Land texted me, told me he took one of the spots. Yeah, and so, then Jeff. Uh, Jeff Ferris at Legacy Night was also, um, also telling uh, telling people to sign up. So, so uh, that was a that was a good tournament at, at Brooklyn Strategist. Who who won that tournament? Um, that would be uh, Jeff Zhao. I think Jeff. I think Jeff Zhao came in second place. Although he did have a four zero finish. Yeah, he did uh, actually they, complete probably, four matches of magic against human against human opponents. The other four zero player uh, for for true domination of the tournament, but that's not what the <laughs> tape says. Won the tournament, right? I'm just checking. This the, okay. He won the tournament. This was this was a real tournament. I'm gonna I'm gonna be an ass here because with with real you you had there. you had a sixty six percent opponent <laughs> match win rate. By playing against the bye, which is nearly statistically impossible, because it means well, that you caught the bye, and then all of your all three of your other opponents went X one. So you have four opponents that each play four matches. That's sixteen matches with seven guaranteed losses. It's like you can't even get a sixty six percent opponent match win percentage unless you're as good as I am. <laughs> Evidently. Uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, are you flip, are you feeling your are you feeling your blue red stifle knot deck that you uh, just so, like won't put uh, down? No, I mean, so you know, cards on the table. I was actually going to ask you to do this, but it, the process would have been too difficult for me to like write you in text because like there's 14 ways to misinterpret what I'm about to say. Like, and just like, and they're like really intuitive ways to misinterpret it. And then I'm like, no, 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 nobody stole your meddling mages. Nobody stole your Attacar ways. You just have to pick a different deck, right? So. So, like, what would be, like, your top five decks if, like, number one is my number one deck is this, my number two deck is this, and there's not, like, a real reason you can't play the number one deck. It's just, like, the number two deck. So I'll give you an example of my top three decks. Number one would be Argent Knot, or whatever you want to call Fran's deck, and I would play very similar to what Fran used to win the champion of Champions Tournament, other than what is with this Phyrexian Furnace? That is definitely not in my deck, right? That tactical, is definitely not in my choice. deck. choice. What? Huh? Tactical choice. The man won't play an impulse, but <laughs> an impulse that only digs for one is uh, is is now is now on the table. And the reason is he always knows what the first card to sideboard out is. Yeah, champ of champs. I would also know what unplayable card to take out of my deck first. So, so th this is why it makes sense. So, I'm like, my number two deck would be Landstill, which it would be with the full Landyho Tomatelski mashup. 
stole from Brian Selden. That would be my number two deck. So like, I could only not play the twelve twelve deck. You know, d nobody stole my meddling mages, right? I could just that's just my second choice deck, and my third choice deck would be blue red stifle knot. Um, and then I would go down to like probably goblins, and then I think I would play Lanny Rock and goblins as my third and fourth choice decks. Nice. Uh, most mostly because I I don't have the reps behind me to play like breakfast. Or maybe Enchantress. I think Enchantress might be a big winner in the post-parfait metagame. Um, or Elves. But my top three decks, Blue-White 12-12, Blue-White uh, Landstill, Blue-Red 12-12. What would be your top three or five decks? All right. So uh, my number one deck would be Parfait. Um, but, it's uh, banned! But somebody's, somebody's borrowing my land taxes forever, so I can't play it. Um, my number two deck... Um, I mean, if I'm trying to win, probably still blue white dreadnought. Um, but if uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably we play same seventy five. Like, don't don't hide brain freeze tech from me. Like, if you figure out something like Armageddon, don't not tell me. <laughs> yeah, I I tell you everything. I don't. I think um, the only Itai was armed with brain freezes that would have defeated me if we had played in that tournament. So yeah. I don't feel like. You tell me, quote, you were, unquote, you were, you were uh, not in the Airbnb at the time that the brain freezes got added to the sideboard. Yeah, I was like, he, literally, I was literally sitting there. I was building Etai's deck. David yeah. Tiles there. I'm just like, got the cards in front of me. Etai's not even there. Etai's <laughs> just like, what am I registering? Like modern. What am I registering? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's he's at another friend's house uh, in Boston because he studies in Boston. He's got friends there. So I'm sitting there. I've got all my blue white knock cards on the table. Uh, and I'm like building the sideboard and I've just got all, all laid out in front of me. And uh, yeah, I'm just like figuring out the last slots of the sideboard, like moving, moving source to plowshares around. Like we went down to one source of plowshares main, trim the ops, like whatever. And then, yeah, I just like pulled out the brain freeze and I was just like, oh yeah, we got to do brain freeze so that we have that thing going. And so like the deck list was locked at the, at the very last minute. Um, and now it sounds like you should just be running three, which um, honestly makes a lot of sense. Um, but of course, Three land still players. <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, I guess Selden did it. <laughs> better. Got to be better than Impulse. Um, we have two Impulses we can cut from the current list for those additional Phyrexian Furnaces. You heard it here first, everybody. Uh, you take Fran's deck and quote unquote, the right number is three. Here first. I'm I'm attracted to I'm attracted to Sam Black's idea of playing a Dreadnought deck that has um, actual card advantage cards uh, besides Gush, um, but I'm not sure what that would look like. Um, but yeah, of course, um, you know. So we'll just say the number one slot is like Blue White Knot, but um, probably Grotog because uh, I'll probably continue to champion that deck uh, as just being super awesome. Uh, that probably is like. That probably is like my like Grotog, uh, despite the fact that my rock is also a deck, but my my rock, my uh, figurative rock, uh, is probably Grotog. Like the the deck that I probably lose a lot with, but I probably think that I win win more with than than I think than than I actually do, uh, just I, I because I feel right. like I have so just much play, agency. Just play Astral Slide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> Astral Slide, it is. Um. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, looking at what's going on in the PSS, I'm like sitting here and, um, I'm going to face in order Tom Matelski, then Jeff White, then Jared Doucette in the following three weeks. And once again, I am, uh, in a position where I don't actually know where Grotog is going to catch a win. <laughs> so, so you're up against Tom this week. Yep. So Tom's three decks are 
Blue Eye Landstill, Landstill, Rock, and Blue Eye Drive. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Your options are Grow Tog, Replenish, and Parfait. Okay, I think. I mean, knowing that that uh, Tom listens to uh, this podcast, and we're also all on the same mailing list. Uh, <laughs> we have a team chat. I don't. Uh, I don't have that much to say. Things? I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty out there. Tom knows the matchups. I know the matchups. Um, there are bad line. There are bad uh, pairings for both of us. Um, so I think uh, it's more than likely that our decision in week one is going to be based more on what we're going to do weeks. the next two weeks. Um, and like, no, no disrespect to my fellow PSS competitors, but uh, you know, I think that Tom, um, who uh, <clears throat> uh, Tom, Tom is just a very, very strong player, and uh, I would rather take my chances. Take the L, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather take my chances. I, I like, I, I like that. That is a classic money draft strategy. Like I'll. I'll eat an L. I'll eat a one-two in order to make two one-twos on the opposing team. If that's what happens, they need to have a three-zero over there in order to stay in the draft. That's, yep. I I like it. Yeah, that's a really great strategy. Uh, but let's talk about. So, what happened to PSS last week? Not this past week, but the previous week. Because we never had a, and we week never two, had an episode yeah. about that. So, yeah, so, so we've had two weeks of the PSS since our last episode. Um, so yeah, in 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 um, so we're recording this on a Saturday. Um, so the Thursday before last, um, I defeated Alvaro with uh, my replenish deck. Um, Tom had a uh, somewhat unfortunate run against um, uh. Jared Doucette's goblins. Um, we had uh, Rich defeating um, Jeff White uh, playing parfait. Uh, Rich was playing parfait against Jeff White's replenish. Uh, and we had Will Hurst uh, defeating Mike Arnold with his burn deck against Mike Arnold's uh, Dead Guy L deck that was all new bordered alternate arts. Uh, and, and, against, and he saved it for Will. As a tribute and, to Will. And Will did not understand what was going so on. So in, <laughs> uh, in episode eight of, the, of uh, Spy Colony, uh, we had uh, basically tried to figure out um, what... Uh, Mike Arnold was going to play uh, because he was going to be running up against me in the in the third week, and we were like, "Oh well, he should probably play his his Angels deck that maybe has the best chance against Burn." But uh, it t- it turns out his choice was locked in <laughs> based on the card based arts on characters. And the kicker is just hysterical. Will Hurst plays the entire match and just like doesn't notice what's happening like doesn't because notice that it's he, all new he's oblivious he's just right absolutely oblivious uh like the post-game interview is like yeah so will like did you did you like uh did you like like my my cards my deck and he's like what what about it <laughs> just like and he has like all different he's playing painted packs. he's playing like, right, like invocation yeah he's playing <laughs> uh, what's it called? Strixhaven Archive, Mystical Archive, like Tainted Pack and Dark Ritual, Japanese Mystical Ar- Archive, like Dark Ritual. Hoip is on coverage, just being like, I don't know what land is in play. Oh, it's a snow covered swamp. <laughs> just so, like, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought about those matches. Um, so Jared Doucette versus, uh, versus Matelski. Um. Two bad games, right? Both of them were like I think Tom Mulligan to three in game two or something. Uh, two bad games, and then the third game, I think like Tom 
Tom had a baby come in or something in the middle and just brain farted on the battlefield. Uh, unclear, maybe Jared should have won it anyway, based on how the how the draws went. But uh, I know that I think viewers at home, especially who were expecting the Tom Matelski show, were confused why <laughs> a lot of his permanents went to the went to the graveyard that turn. Um, so uh, Rich against Jeff White, I. I think Replenish has a good matchup against Parfait. Uh, and I think just Jeff just didn't put it all together. Uh, he, he went for a line where he just got lost all of his seal cleansings, right? Because he did an intuition for seal cleansing, and then, then he was out. Because that's all the ones in his deck at the point that he cast the last Yeah, one. Rich had a Tormouth's Crypt. Um, <clears throat> and um, basically what happened this game was uh, Jeff White had sequenced uh, his uh, permanence uh, somewhat incorrectly. So he played a Parallax Tide first, then he played an Opalescence and got his Tide Swords of Plowshares uh, instead of playing the Parallax Wave. Yeah, that's but, deeply unfortunate if you're a replenish uh, player. But uh, even going a turn back, he had intuition for like three seal cleansings and then just elected not to play any of them. So one could argue that your intuition could have gotten for, gone for something a little meatier. Uh, like the full combo, yeah. given what he had. Uh, Rich, Rich, um, you know, has has informed me that he has never lost a match to replenish. Um, but yeah, considering that the most resistance that the Parfait deck can put up is typically just a combination of Tormod's Crypts and Enchantment Removal. So and- it's like one seal one R of Silence, one Tormod's Crypt against Jeff's whole deck. And like right? a Ray of Revelation, yeah. And I mean, a lot of those cards have very little context. Like, for example, if you have like the Opalescence Parallax Wave combo in play, depending on which version of it you have, cards like um, Aura of Silence and uh, Seal of Cleansing become incredibly unexciting. Yeah. Right. I so, mean, effectively, um, like, even if this is like uh, when you engineered Plague and like the opponent has the Naturalize, but they lost like five elves, anyways. So if, if Rich's board is like, three land taxes and a sylvan library and like a seal of cleansing and uh jeff is able to establish on the battlefield um parallax wave and opalescence uh he'll lose all of uh you know rich will lose all of his enchantments before even dealing with the opalescence so at the end of the day uh it's it's a very threatening pair of cards and then the fact that you just get a get a go again by um by using replenish is just um and, and if there's gravy. two opalescences there's just no outs yeah yeah if there's right. two opalescences it's just like complete lock so um and then the let's see what are the other matchups uh alvaro and you uh did that only go two games only two games yeah first game was- i had the nuts um i comboed on turn three with everything uh, frantic search, intuition, replenish, and a soul land. Is that was uh, the danger of cool things on Alvaro's part. He saw that he had, he, he, despite how far behind he was, he was able to get a ton of tinkers in play in the last turn of the game, which allowed him to go for the devourer combo, but just didn't have enough juice in his deck to win the game. Yep, he had all his three dynamos in play. He had a factor fiction in hand, and I uh, uh, I ended the game with three games and three cards in my library so to zero. This was a, still a scuffed game because you missed you missed uh, the no. panic search. I, I went back and checked the tape. So yeah. um, he had an untapped welder the turn that I floated mm-hmm. that I could have floated mana. So if I went for frantic search to untap three lands, then he would have welded a second tangle wire into play. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, but your sideboard strategy was great. Uh, I feel like 
the commentators were like, um, does Lanny think this? Does Lanny think this? I'm like, well, dude, Exalted Angel has five toughness. His opponent's removal does one damage. (laughs) You're talking about Massacre? Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't even have, like, two lightning bolts to glue together. Like, they're not in his 75. You know, like, if this resolves, it's just going to kill him. Yeah, Rushing River is typically the um, former resistance, and uh, Alvaro Alvaro has not chosen. He can't find that card. Yeah, well, he doesn't. He doesn't even have it in his deck. Uh, He has no. He has no uh, way to uh, remove a permanent from the battlefield uh, in his deck. I mean, Dealer liked Alvaro in game two. Like you, you, you played really well. I think outside of that mistap, which you said doesn't even matter very much. Um, Yeah, I mean, I should have still floated, but yeah. But but Dealer really had him and. because he just got so much tangle wire access for, and he did not buy it. It yeah, it was given. I to mean, him. I needed. Yeah, I was just like very short. At any point, I can lace together uh, source of plowshares to keep the welder offline. I can lace together a uh, seal of cleansing to uh, deal with the winter orb, which was uh, ruining my life. Um, but yeah, um, at the end of the day, uh, uh, an unfortunate situation because like. Uh, considering unlimited game time, Alvaro m- might have you know been able to at least count up uh, the the mana mana value of. But the why cards. wouldn't he just go for Karn? Oh, well, I, I mean the Devour combo is deterministic at the point of casting compared to. So if you're under the if you have the, the cards, well, that's the thing is like I don't think it occurred to him that he could be short. Um, it's plausible that he thought that I would just like at least scoop. Um, or at least just be like, okay, I'll scoop to show me your deck. But I actually made him add it up. And um, and the Karn uh, meant that if I drew a plow, because he couldn't get any damage in with the Karn like that turn, uh, his Karn the Karn meant that if I drew a, a source of plowshares, uh, then he would be uh, essentially behind um, a Tinker. He wouldn't have access to Karn. He wouldn't for be dead. Yeah, I mean, it would just be play on, and then he has another. He has like a Tinker in hand. But he has infinite tank. He had more Tangle Wire access than you had. Permanent. Well, he was. He was. I. I can get out because of. Um. You know, a very stable genius put Mox Diamond into my replenish deck. I can. I can burst him with, uh, just like a ton of mana out of nowhere by just playing one or two Mox Diamonds, a frantic search, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'll be playing spells, um, and able to interact. So then I can like you know, uh. The worst case scenario for him is that if, if I have enough time, I can sculpt a hand that involves me casting a replenish and then just like completely annihilating the board. So he has to do something. Um, again, I have to shout out Ricky Thorson, Madison Local, who I've played with online. He actually played, uh, uh, I played my very first game of pre-modern against him, my Grotog deck versus his Stasis deck. And uh, so I that was the up. same match you played in week one against yep, Will Hurst. Will Hurst. Uh, what was the outcome against Ricky? Well, the outcome against Ricky was a loss because I didn't understand how the stasis deck worked. <laughs> You're not uh, smart. Uh, You're yeah. a dumb dumb. Yeah. And then, um, and then I repeated that performance against Will Hurst in week one of the PSS. Um, that was ballsy but, for Will Hurst to play stasis against you. I mean, his. I mean, first of all, I think it was just wrong because his red deck has at least two very good matchups against you. And it was unlikely you were going to bring your parfait deck against him because you needed your parfait deck. Yeah. Right? So he should have played his red deck, which would have allowed him to have his uh, his stasis deck against uh, Alvaro's 12-12 deck yep. this week. Instead, what happened was... Hurst he was stuck with Fluctuator. Well, Hurst... The worst matchup he possibly could have. Well, Hurst, Hurst basically ran into um, one of the bugs of the new format so 
Hearst has this fluctuator deck, which, uh, you know, let's just say we're going to do six rounds because we're actually doing seven. But let's say we're going to do six rounds. You play each of your decks twice. If Hearst could pick his opponents to run fluctuator against, uh, he could pretty easily just pick um, Jeff White, who has absolutely no resistance to fluctuator in his lineup, or Jared Doucette, whose best chance would be to try to play the rock and be fluctuator, which it's just not, it's still not a good matchup. For That's the rock. not going to happen very yeah. often. Um, but I mean, if you know how to play the fluctuator, but in a given set of three matches, uh, he got both Jeff White and Jared Doucette who have, uh, you know, who he can only, uh, cash in his win with fluctuator at once. Whereas the first three matches he was running up against me with my meddling mages, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, sorry, uh, Mike Arnold with his meddling mages or Alvaro Gimlindo with his dazes and dreadnought. No, 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 no. He would have gotten the tainted pack matchup because that's how Mike Arnold said. Well, he didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know that. I mean, I I, I mean, tainted pack dot deck could conceivably beat fluctuator, but I'm picking fluctuator. Yeah, Gerard's verdict is actually quite good against fluctuator. Oh, really? You think Gerard's verdict versus misdirection is a good matchup? I mean, that's that's still that's still actually a good result for um, for the Jared's verdict player because he's still getting cards out of Wilhurst's hand, which is like the volume is like what he needs. Will can rebuild. Also, he could just cast two songs of the damned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's the that's the game plan. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I think Will just decided that he didn't want to risk it, and uh, he just wanted to. I mean, I think he cleverly picked where his wins were going to come um and uh you know cleverly or not maybe maybe he was just he was just going straightly off vibes but uh you know it, it results in a 2-1 performance from him um, so right now alvaro's one and two and will is two and one correct is that right yep so next match jeff white who did he play against this week jared uh so moving on to this week um uh jeff white played against jared uh playing goblins versus the rock Ooh, um, I didn't see this match. So this yep. is like the reverse of last week's yep. match where Jared defeated the rock with goblins. Yep. Uh, this one was unfortunate. Uh, we had some like mulligans to like three and four um, uh, in like uh, in like a couple of games. But I believe that Jared took it in three games with the rock. I think they got one good game out of that. But like the in, t- in total, the match took like 30 minutes. Uh, Will Hurst uh, got crushed so by Mono Blue Dreadnought in about 15 minutes. I think that that matchup actually favors Lanny Rock over Goblins, in my experience. Yeah, I think know, that... You need to know how to play your Engineered Plagues properly. I think if you look at how the Rock played against Goblins um, in consecutive weeks, even even though Tom lost, like the match looked pretty good from Tom's side of the table. Um, yeah, and he, the game two, he molded like three. Yeah. Also, and, and somewhat impressively... Uh, uh, Tom Matelski against Rich Shea. Uh, Tom himself having goblins favored over uh, his landstill list, despite the fact that in the private Discord, I'm like, Tom, are you worried about goblins? And he's like, no, no I've never lost to goblins. Like, in the post game interview, he's like, yeah, I think goblins is slightly favored. Yeah, I think he was, I think that he was playing the, the Rich Shea card. Because every time Rich Shea wins one of these matchups, he obviously was going to win. He's like, Oh, so and so played really well. That's that's really how you should play it. Gentleman, gentleman, and the scholar. What can yeah, you say? Yeah, I mean, like I'm watching this, and I'm like, obviously, Rich, Rich kept a hand that if Tom didn't have an answer to a first turn lackey, Rich's hand would have developed and maybe would have run Tom over. But like, me and Tom have played this match a lot. <laughs> I have also never lost the goblins. Uh, so, and I've won most of the game ones. 
So the the thing is, uh, this this matchup, it's the same as the red deck matchup. Like the red players, whether they're goblins or red decks, seem to think that they beat land still. But I don't know that they're that good against the sum total of all the technology in the land still deck now, right? Yeah. So they're, they're probably still operating off the terms of like you know maybe six months like or a year ago, two where years still, ago. yeah, where yeah, land like, still decks just didn't have. The same kind of resistance they had higher curves some people are playing accumulated knowledge and other nonsense I mean, like, like we're literally playing cards like chain of vapor so that we don't get hit by a first turn goblin now you could argue that should just be a, an additional blue elemental blast right but you know tom and i both play chain of vapor at lobster con he has a chain of vapor in his deck now it is obviously more flexible than a blue elemental blast and if all you want to do is not get it by a first turn lackey it'll stop that from happening just as well as a, as a hydroblast will um, but the, there's a lot of technology in the blue-white deck that allows us to put up a lot of resistance against these various red yeah. decks. The chain, the chain's actually left uh, Tom Tom's list, isn't it? In his PSS deck, uh, his PSS deck has one in the sideboard. That's what I, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were talking about our main deck. No, no, we had it in our main deck in at LobsterCon, and it was one of those awful cards that like. You know how I love to play, like, oh, man, I'm going to get him with this? Like, it, yeah. That's literally my kryptonite. Yep. Like, I'm going to get him cool with things. this. Is, is, uh, is, uh, you, ever, you ever want to... Uh, what happened? Zach Hill. I played, I played this deck in day one of a Grand Prix, and I did awful. And then I played somebody else's just regular red, red black beatdown deck and went undefeated through however many rounds in, in day two. Um, but I played my own deck in day one. It's playing Liliana of the, I don't know what the name is. It's the one that's like BB2, and it just gets swamps. Nice. And it can like nug a creature for however many swamps you have. I get whatever that Liliana is. And I was like, oh, I think this card's really good. And Zach Hill's just like, don't listen to the haters. You're just the greatest deck designer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play my Liliana deck. They couldn't beat anything. That was like at the same Grand Prix that like, Reed and Cuneo top aided with like Sam's the one deck I always said I wish I made this deck it was their like green white blue deck splashing for a land that mills that mills you it has like because they had one far seek or something so cool way better than my stupid <laughs> well yeah, it's, it's ironic because it's a it's a danger of cool things story but the the only reason like your your biggest regret was that you didn't do the slightly cooler thing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, cool. No, but the thing was, Zach Hill specifically was just like, oh, yeah, you're such a genius. You'll get him with... And then we had our own, like, side side chats of, like, perfecting my deck. And then, like, Zach shows up at the tournament playing, like, just like a stock red-green deck. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? I thought we were on the squad. And he's just like, yeah, I don't know. Man. Yeah, no, no, it's good for you, but I'm, I'm just going to play... Yeah, I'm just going to play red-green. Like, come on. Like... <laughs> Liliana, what are you thinking, bro? <laughs> just like I mean, also Kibler was just like, just like I don't understand what all this criticism is about. Mike is completely correct about his assessment of this Liliana. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Kibler thinks I'm right. Yeah, but I'm totally go two and three drop in this Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, uh, danger of cool things. Don't don't let it happen to you. It happened to Tom Matelski's sideboard. It happened to it happened to my my PSS decks. So there you go. No, it did. I thought you loved your PSS decks. I thought well, you were they're, they're, well, we'll, we'll, genius you are. They're certainly cool things. Um, we'll just have to find out if they were dangerous. Um, let's see. Uh, 
the, what, what's the other match this week other than you and Mike Arnold? Um, so, so Tom Matelski defeated uh, Rich Chase Goblins, and then me and Mike Arnold was the last one. Uh, we did yeah. a good amount of testing, and uh, despite the fact that Mike Arnold felt like um, his deck was going to be um, at least put up a fight against Parfait, the draws just didn't go that way. Uh, I, so, did, I did draw really well. I think in game one, when he had Mother of Runes into Meddling Mage naming Oath of Druids, um, and uh, he was in a position where he only had two lands in play, so the only way for me to tax was if I had access to a land count reducer like Mox Diamond or Undiscovered Paradise. Unlike, unfortunately for him, I did have access to the Mox Diamond. So and he just still refused to play past two lands, right? Like yeah, the I think he has to play past two lands. So I think Mike's game plan in game two made made sense uh, from our testing, but I think. Like, in the games I was able to beat you, they were just, like, I just had two Exalted Angels in play, and you just had run out of Swords to Plowshares, and I just killed you by attacking, right? It wasn't, like, anything strategic about the deck at yeah. all. Yeah, although I like, think it was Lightning Angels. I think he was correct to board out the Exalted Angels. They're just, like, way too mana-intensive, and he just yeah, I'm, I'm to, just saying, I just said, like, Angels, yeah. then I was yeah, just yeah, counterspelling yeah. Swords to Plowshares. It was just nothing special about the deck that was making it go. The In, in our testing, I think the problem was... There was just only two disenchants in the entire 75. So when you talk about going up to like, all right, you're adding two and all, there's these meltdowns. Like you got blown out by meltdown, it just didn't matter. The the problem is with only two total disenchants, his ability to answer both land tax and um, oath of druids in the same game is really tough, and he just he just can't beat an oath of druids. Like I had a game against you where I just resolved future sight on turn five. You never dealt with Future Sight in the entire game. I drew like four cards a turn or whatever and just died to a hard cast of Chroma, which is how you won your game two against Mike as well. Right? Like, it just it just didn't... I just could never deal with the cards in play. Yep. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the sort of genius of uh, the, uh, the Parfait Cabal adding dress to the deck uh i think that like i was just able to dress on key turns uh to to get my stuff going through or just uh jam through with enough mass uh, like you said he had a big meltdown caught an ivory tower caught a mox caught a scorax as a viewer but, it seemed to me like you were just baiting the meltdown so that you could just enlighten tutor for a second scroll rack and basically slam the door shut yeah i mean that's that's what that happened was, but i also that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't commit the um I couldn't commit the uh, second land tax either because of cleansing meditation. I also have to, like play against play around cleansing meditation until he finally gave up and just played it for one land tax. And I was like, okay, I've got it without another. threshold, right? So he also no, no, he had it with threshold. It's not a replenish with threshold. It's a it's still a tranquility. Well, of the but, things that are destroyed that yeah, time. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but future sight. I had answered future sight with seal of cleansing. So oh, I love that because that just came out of the testing. That's not intuitive to leave your enchantment removal. Yeah, no, I was about to board out, and in our testing, we I, I was going to board out everything. Uh, although, yeah, again, the irony is that you just had your future sight in play, and I was like, well, I can't remove this, but I'm still going to just defeat you. Because, like, what are you going to do? I have Oath of Druids. You're gonna, like, I'll block. I'll block with my Chroma. And I even had two plows in. I was talking to Flint during the match, right? And he was just like, well, how do you think Mike is going to sideboard? I'm like, I know how Mike should sideboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you can't take out Fire Ice. And... It's like, why? Fire Ice is terrible. I'm like, well, it taps a Chroma. And yeah. I also don't think he should side out Swords of Why? It's like, because he could kill a Chroma. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking about? And like, 
We're, meanwhile, Hoip is like, do you think Lanny's going to side into his Essen Angel? And I said to Flint, what's going to happen is Mike's going to do nothing for 20 turns. Lanny's going to hard cast a Chroma and attack him twice. What happened in the game, Lanny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so, um, um, It was a little bit scripted. It was a little bit scripted. Thanks to our testing. I mean, I, you know, we're tryharding. Uh, we're tryharding the crap out of the PSS. It's really funny because this week I'm going to be playing against Tom. And I was like, we can't cross... <laughs> coaches for for tom's match so i have to like i have to like i have to dibs on mike i have to be like well mike's my coach tom can have aaron or or whomever he's talking or tom can have francisco i don't know if tom's talking to francisco francisco's not talking to either of us um uh, i talk to fran every week i don't know i mean i don't know if tom i don't know if like i don't know if tom is getting a blue eyed dreadnought coaching from from fran or 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 if they're just like discussing like the Lansdale matchup, um, I have probably too much. Uh, like the problem with the week where you can choose between any of the three decks is that it's just impossible to attach not to test nine matchups. You have to like process of elimination a little bit. Um, but, I think. Are you and Tom gonna play IRL? That would be awesome. I mean, it would be a pretty monumental task because our our match is scheduled for 10 p.m. Uh, we can ask. Um, Hoip for a reschedule if we want to like try to get it together but we still have to find a central like we still have to meet at a card shop or something because he's in jersey and i'm in Queens, so uh, oh yeah we have to figure out a way to meet him yeah yeah he's got to get home for the kids exactly exactly it's just it would just i wanted to throw down in person that would be pretty bad um maybe if we both make the top four or the finals uh we can arrange it and we can just like reschedule it for like a weekend or something like just have it happen on on a saturday just so that we could play it in person but that's uh that's let's let's top four first um it's a pretty uh wait so current records are tom two one you two one rich two one will hurst two one so jeff white is oh three and then the other the other uh three are one two so uh the top you and i picked the same top four right that's correct and all the people we picked in top four are currently two one that's correct and uh i i a big Rich Shea fan. He created probably my single favorite piece of magic content, along with Mano, uh, that I didn't write. Um, big. I'm a big. I'm a big fan of of Rich Shea, and I was cheering the. I was cheering for Tom in that matchup last week. Yeah, I mean, I hate to keep on bring bringing up Tom needing to have defeated Jared Doucette. <laughs> Um So actually, uh, I, I'm incorrect. Jared Doucette is also two one. Um, so the remaining players are Jeff White on 03, and then Al- Alvaro uh, on 1-2, one, two. Two, and Mike Arnold on 1-2. So uh, Tom sh- probably should have just ran away with it in this string of three weeks. He should have caught the caught the dub with the Rock. Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, so uh, now he's actually in the mix. It would have been uh, nice because... If Tom was 3-0 right now and had a loss to give, maybe he'd play a little loose in the match against his friend Lanny Huang. Give me nope. a break. No, but dude, instead, these are the matches that you play the hardest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I know. I mean, I'm I'm scared. I pretty I pretty much have no I have no good options. If I also, could if I could but, force the matchup, I would probably force like replenish against the rock. And then I would still like have to fight, you know. I mean, that's a great matchup for replenish. It is, but I I, I have no doubt that I have no doubt that um well, I have no doubt Tom is not going to bring the rock against you. So, <laughs> I mean, like, what? I mean, so of your three matchups, let me think. 
Actually, the Rock's probably okay against GAT. Rock is uh, Rock is quite good against yeah. the Psychotog deck, and, and then it's if, quite it's decent against the Parfait deck. Uh, Landstill Shay, and he was and he was Tom Matelski. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, who would win? Um, Turns out Tom Matelski. Rich Shay did not have Burning Wish. <laughs> what if you were Rich Shay against any other Rock player ever in the history of Magic? That's not Tom. Yeah, then you would take. Then you would take Rich. Then you would take it. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just, it's tough. Like, uh, Tom's Landstill looks pretty good against my lineup, uh, except for Grotog can uh, sometimes embarrass Landstill, as uh, depicted so. in my uh, championship run last year uh, at the New York tournament, where I beat that, two Landstill players. That's la- One of them was Jordan, right? Uh, no. Uh, no, it was, Jordan was the third Landstill player that I didn't play against, but there was like three or four Landstill players. That so I, I would say... I've watched that matchup. I think it can go either way. Yeah, yeah, it's close. Um, I think. What are your breakers in game one? Your breakers are meddling mage, psychotog. It's just mage and then days. So if you mage plow, uh, Tom can no longer do anything except for Wrath of God. Wrath of God costs four mana. So it's if you look at my stuff. yeah, I mean counterspell like you know I've yeah I've I've got I've got a little bit of action. I bet you know. As we've discussed, uh, Psychotog is just like a wildly inconsistent deck, so sometimes it just doesn't deliver the goods. I mean, um, Landstill is a weirdly consistent and sometimes weirdly inconsistent deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's inconsistent, like when you don't draw your plows or you like only draw four mana spells. Like, I just think that or like, like Landstill like just has a very high curve. You can also just flood out. You're playing this million land deck. Sometimes you just have three dust bowls in yep. play, and your opponent's attacking you with a jackal pup. <laughs> yeah. No, th- those are all things that can happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, you know, Tom uh, has a run-up against Will Hurst, uh, followed by Alvaro Glindo, if he likes his Landstill decks against those opponents. Um, uh, let's see. Landstill versus Ponza. I think I like Landstill. Could go either way, but I think I like Landstill. Uh, Landstill versus Mono Blue. Uh, Landstill by a mile. Like, yeah. like that. I think that matchup favors Landstill when it's Argent not against Landstill. Uh, I know Fran thinks the other way. I think it also depends how much sideboard action the Argent not deck has. But um, but without meddling mage, zero percent chance of winning game one. Like literal, you just never yeah. win game one. Uh, and then uh, what's Alvaro's third deck? Uh, Tinker. Tinker, yeah. Landstill by a mile, I think, in that matchup. It has source supply shares for the Goblin Welder. Counterspell for everything else. There's like literally no pressure in that matchup, right? Yeah. The pressure is Tangle Wire. Yeah. Um, no, so, it's it's just Goblin Welder. It's yeah, like so it's Welder Welder Wire because Wire doesn't do anything, so it, it has to be Wire Winter. Orb. It, it does do something. It does something insofar that you can lock them. Like you can mess their million. If you have Winter Orb, winter if you have Winter Orb and um, Mistress Helix at the same time, then you got them. Yeah, I mean, so my point being, the pressure is Tangle Wire. Right. Well, and, the tangle wire fades un- until you have a welder, and then if you don't have a, like, you, but you I'm saying you play the welder. tangle wire if it resolves, then you can resolve a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn. Right. So, um, yeah, I think if I were Tom, I would save my Landstill deck for Alvaro's lineup then, because like I like Landstill in all three of those matchups. Um, no, that's why I think that Tom Tom uh, has a decent reason to bring the rock against me because uh, against Will Hurst. Uh, his decks are actually quite poor into Wilhurst's Stasis deck. Um, so, if he's 12-12 against you, um, 
Gat is favored in that matchup. Yeah. Uh, I presume you think Burning Parfait wins that matchup. Oh no, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, no. And then none of my decks, none of my decks beat Blue White Dreadnought. <laughs> oh, <that laughs> I mean, he should just bring twelve. Well, Grotog Gro Grotog beats Blue White Dreadnought, but um, the my other two don't. Yeah, I think I think. And then I've tested him. most most of my Grotog testing is Grotog against Mono Blue. So, well, Blue White is way better than Mono Blue against Grotog. It is definitely better because you can mage their mage because like. Yeah. The ability to mage your mage is the main thing because if you mage Dreadnought, game's basically over. Yeah, but I've got, I mean, at least I've got, um, you know, I've, I have access to Fire Ice, so I can fire their mage I, I'm and not, mage their mage. I'm not saying it's not a game. Yeah. I'm saying blue-white can't stop you this way. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, typically, like, like the recipe for defeating Dreadnought is having, having a mix of resistance and pressure. So Grotog is the best mix of resistance and pressure. Counterspells are the best way to answer Dreadnought. Uh, they cut out the they cut the vision charms out of the equation. Meddling Mage is also the best resistance and pressure rolled into one card. And then of course, Psychotog can always just block by being a twelve thirteen. That's a, that's such a great play pattern where your Psychotog is just bigger than a twelve twelve. Yeah, it's like okay, I'll block. Do you want to do this again? Um, <laughs> I'll gush yeah. and block again. I think if I'm Tom, then I probably go twelve twelve against you. Save save uh, land still for. Uh, for Alvaro, and then who's his third matchup in, in pod two? Uh, it would be Hurst, so he'd have to play the Rock against Hurst, which um, is bad against all three of Hurst's six. Okay, so... Unless he somehow draws Hurst uh, on burn against the Rock, but I just I don't really I mean, see that happening. Well, does Hurst have no resistance to the Rock? Is it one of those decks that like cut all the cards that make the Rock always lose to burn? <laughs> uh, so Hurst, yeah, Hurst did cut... Just like uh, he, has, he has two Rock Price of Progress things. main. Oh, uh, I mean, Hurst probably fears. Uh, I mean, Goblin Patrol does not line up well against Wall of Blossoms. So yeah, I you know, credit to everybody here. Caffeinated twenty two went to the finals of that monthly, and so did Tom. And the one time that the Rock ever beat the Red Deck, it was in the hands of the Red Deck Master. Yeah, I so, mean, it was if if not for the inexplicable black vices on a sideboard, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Caffeinated twenty two just didn't have any of the cards. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like he was playing Goblin Patrol. Yeah, like he is now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's gonna be a fun other set of three weeks in the PSS. Um, it's been a fun time in pre modern. Uh, our discussion about tactics and strategy um, kind of caught a blaze in the Discord. Uh, you know, really? Uh, yeah. So I had, I paid attention to Discord. I guess I would know that. Yeah. So Rich J uh, was kind of discussing. He was basically saying he's like, I really uh, am gravitating towards decks that have a narrative, and I don't gravitate towards decks that uh, don't have a narrative. And I was like, Well, Rich, uh, it might be that you are more so a strategist than you are a tactician. And he was like, What do you mean? And I'm like, Well, we talked about it on Spike Colony. We talked about it with Sam Black. Um, but, you know, it sounds to me like, I mean, Rich has said this himself. He's like, I always want to have a plan. I don't like decks like The Rock because The Rock doesn't really have a plan. And I'm like, yeah, Rock, The Rock is a highly tactical deck. And the Parfait, despite the fact that it has a lot of different lines and it's kind of toolboxes, you know, for better or worse, is just a, is a strategic deck. You, you get tax rank into play, how you win the game, not particularly important from that place. Uh, and he was inspired by this. Uh, Anton... Uh, was also inspired by this. Uh, it was kind of fun to discuss with Anton because he was like, oh, I'm, I'm a very tactical player. I love the rock. 
Um, and uh, I love uh, Replenish, but the way that he builds Replenish is a lot less linear than the way that I build Replenish because I'm a strategic player. So I I build my Replenish deck to uh, be as on plan and, and linear as possible, whereas Anton builds his Replenish deck to be as flexible as possible. Um, so uh, everyone kind of... Uh, uh, you know, felt uh, felt like it was a really fun discussion. Uh, trying, basically, trying to understand, uh, you know, your kind of proficiencies. Because you know, while we've said it on this time, time and time and again on this podcast, you're either good or bad. You're not a type of player. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, you. There are things that you're player. you're better at than <laughs> you're better at. Than, I do 19 damage to my opponent yeah. every round. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm and, a mill player. And and Mike They never end. It's actually pretty fun because it, in this discussion, so I and identify you as a tactical player. I think you're a big fan Me? of Lance. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go into why. Okay, sure. I'll go into why. So you love Landstill and the Rock. You love these you love decks that don't have a plan to begin with. Two, the uh the three gears uh, the three gears theory is 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 a tactical it's a tactical and strategic theory because it outlines three three strategies um for sure so you can say that it's strategic but i think that it's like more tactical than it's strategic in the sense that um you know the what we learn from the three gears is that most people think that burn only has one plan um and so uh you know your ability to navigate your 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 plan options with burn and and you know I talked about this in Iron Man versus the Hulk. Like you, you operate the deck like like it's a mid range deck that it effectively effectively has these combo, aggro, and control sort of modes going on. Um, so uh, that, and then finally, like your when I hear you talk about a play that you would have made, like when we're either both birding a game or you're birding my games, like I like it's. It it feels like you always have tactical reasoning behind it. Uh, so you, it, it, I, it like moves. So I want to I want to bring in one more analogy. The one analogy is just like when you make a play, if you choose play A over play B, like do you believe like are you more likely to be motivated because uh, the play that you selected? Um, uh, uh, if I use a chess analogy here, like gains you uh, some advantage. Uh, like so winning I, a pawn, winning position, or so does it, it, or is it, it because it puts you uh, closer to completing your sort of master plan strategy? So I, first of all, I think I'm a strategist, and I'm not a tactician at all. So <laughs> when you talk about like these things, um, I just, I, at my best, right? Like my average game is kind of average, I think, but my best games are among the best games anybody plays, right? So the if in my best games, I know exactly how the game is going to unfold on the last turn of the game. And all of the things that I try to do are to engineer the position that I want the game to look like on the last turn of the game. Right? So the three, the three gears theory is just like a really good example is, um, I, you know, Shahane and I were just knocking this around, you know, as a result of his hanging up the quill and maybe not the wand this week, where, you know, I learned that when a Blue white like a blue white player cannot resist a rift bolt. A rift bolt is catnip to a blue white player. You float a rift bolt, they slam it to fairy, you win the game the next turn, right? They literally just pull their pants down and they're like, "Here it is!" And you just kick them right there. 
That's like a highly okay. Like they that's highly highly tactical play. This is like a so intersection I, of like like philosophy. Fire is very tactical. So I, I coming when I was like a serious tournament grinder, like I was playing tournaments every weekend. Right, that was when this boat. The reputation I had was I never played cards. I always just played the person I was playing against across the table. So uh, I, I think the best example I would have is when we were watching Tom against Rich this week. I said that Tom should side out his humility and circle in game three. And those are two of his best cards, right? But it was obvious to me that Rich was going to like super overvalue the hands that had naturalized, etc. in them because he loses to those cards, right? So, so Tom could get this quasi advantage by Rich just having a handful of naturalizes, hull breaches, whatever, that that had no context, right? They're just dead, dead draws now. Um, and Rich kind of has to play with those cards in mind because he just loses to a circle if he doesn't right. answer. So this is this right? is actually very like interesting because sideboarding sideboarding is innately a strategic practice. Um, uh, but sideboarding with these sort of like mid-ranging landstill decks like becomes tactical. So what you're describing, like I think that a strategic approach would be to say like I'm going to have this humility and then I'm just going to have my counter spells focus around protecting this humility. Humility becomes my strategy. But um, he's but if the problem is the goblins deck can operate with basically zero mana. So they're like they like it commit one mana and they've operated zero mana the rest of the game and then they just use Rishid on port and keep you off of your mana right, no, no. four. I I I so I, you can't play that game. I, I understand, but I'm just saying I'm I'm just saying like this is ex exemplary. So by not boarding it into your deck, and by 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 acknowledging that the goblins player uh, is going to have some number of naturalized in your deck, that's putting you at a tactical advantage, right? The advantage that you gained is not like is not based on a like game plan about how you script like winning winning a play. Like so for like the, the and the reason is this is just that. By by not having enchantments in your deck and your opponent having naturalizes in their deck, like that puts you at a a uh, that advantages you in 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 like the margins, right? Your your deck is denser, their deck is more dilute, and the way you capitalize on this like isn't really like isn't really strategic at all. It's just tactical. You're just gonna have a little bit more gas, and they're gonna have a little bit less. And I, I wrote about this a lot twenty three years ago. So I had a match. It became a really famous strategy in the Northeast, right? Um, but I had a match against Justin Poland in the first round of a PTQ that I dominated. Uh, we were playing the White Mirror. And I played a first turn. I go first turn Rebel. Uh, Rebel. What's the first turn Rebel? Ramosian Sergeant. Ramosian Sergeant. I played first turn Ramosian Sergeant. And the words that I said to him were Swamp Dark Ritual Necropotence, right? Yeah. I win 20 turns later. We're shuffling up. And he says to me, Says you know only only one because you had first turn Ramosian Sergeant. So I said, tell you what, I'm going to side out all my Ramosian Sergeants this game, and I'm going to beat you, right? He said, shut up, right? So game two goes by and I beat him, right? And I said, I want to show you something. And I turn over my sideboard. There's four Ramosian Sergeants, in. and I said, I beat you before you ever dealt your first card. <laughs> and uh, we we and he's just like, you can't possibly have sided out your Ramosian Sergeants, and I'm like, they're right here, and I beat you. And, uh, and he's just like, how did this game go? And I'm like, well, you left all your Ramosi insurgents in, right? Yeah, and he's like, and you left in your Defiant Falcons, right? And he's like, yeah, you left in these tutus, these tutus, right? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, you have a deck full of tutus. 
In game one, we both had a deck full of tutus. In game two, I had a deck full of Wrath of God, and you had a deck full of tutus. Like, who do you think was going to win? And he's just like, but I had all this card advantage. I'm like, what card advantage do you have? All your guys are on the battlefield. Like, you're necroing onto the battlefield, so my Wrath of God gets another guy. That's all you did. And like, and uh, and I'm like, you know what card matters? He's he's like, what? I'm like, Parallax Wave. Look at how many disenchants I had. I had ten disenchants after sideboarding. I'm like, if you have Parallax Wave, you can keep me from wrathing you. <laughs> so I'm just gonna destroy your Parallax Wave, and I'm just gonna wrath you as many times as I need to wrath you, and you're gonna die to a three three, because you know. And that's just what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, like this example, like Consult for Spite is another strategic example. Um, and uh, your play to bring in two Haunting Echoes versus David Tao in the Logic on Side event is another strategic thing where you're basically like, well, I have these two Haunting Echoes, these constitute a plan. In fact, they're the only plan I have access to. Like, I just want my deck to, to be good against his deck in the best way that I can. Right? Well, like, that's the thing. I don't is think like, of that as being tactical at all. No, no, no. I'm telling you, I'm telling that they, they constitute a plan. So they are strategic. It is strategic. But um, I think that uh, one of like, it's it's like a question of like, what is like drawing your like focus and like, what's your like motivated, your motivating your decision making or just like, how do you think? Because another thing that you have a habit of doing is, is sort of like uh, uh, a lot of these like sort of small picture things sequences so a lot of times you'll describe to me it's just, just kind of like oh this card's good because they're gonna do this and then i'm gonna do this and then you know they're gonna be do this and i'll be like up a card or they'll have taken three damage or like whatever and i think that's like a very strange like that's like a very strange habit right so like let's just take for example our like uh, i listened back our our discussion about portent and impulse and sleight of hand right and you know i think that like you know you you had this thing where you're just kind of like well like i'm gonna slide a hand and i'll like have a second dreadnought after like my first dreadnought is removed and then i can like play dreadnought that turn or like you know i'm gonna slide a hand and i'm going to use that like velocity to um to better my position that turn the the turn that i need to uh to to kind of put myself uh into the late game where where i'm i'm certain to win because i have a lot of faith in my deck and i have this inevitability and like uh and like when you when you tell stories like that like when you explain your reasoning like that that makes me think that you're like a very highly tactical player because you like you have a pattern of just being like what is going to put me in like the strongest position like turn by turn well i think that i have two advantages in magic one of them is I think that before the game starts, most of the time, I have a better understanding of how decks, how the decks themselves, like regardless of who the pilot is, how the decks themselves interact in constructed magic. And then two, I think most of the time I've thought about how to play the deck and how I think my opponent's going to play the deck more than they have. So I think like I, I'm like a very, very emblematic like in, invitational player from like 2006, which is. Every single interaction that I have is one mana, draw three cards if I'm better than my opponent. Like, <laughs> that's the condition. <laughs> if I'm better than my opponent, I get to draw three cards, like, for every one mana interaction. But the problem, and I also think that's why I've been far less successful at, like, high levels high levels of magic, like the actual uh, Magic Invitational, which I got to play in one year, or, like, Pro Tours, or stuff like that. And, like, if I'm not, if I don't 
if I can't predict what my opponent is going to do, and they they just act in an unpredictable way, and then it goes down to the decks, and the decks everybody has got a good deck at that level, right? So, um, you know, so then I just have average finishes. Not I'm not below average, but I'm just average. But at like you know local level or whatever, you know, it's people who don't have that kind of preparation or understanding. I I do way better. But I, I actually just think I think that I just think that I know what my opponent thinks and what my opponent is going to do. And I, one of the things that I've always loved about working with you is that you think in a way that is better, that makes me better, because I didn't think of these things. <laughs> so like I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. This guy must be a genius. It's like my reaction to <laughs> yeah, you yeah. 75% of the time. Versus like when somebody else says something I didn't think of, I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah, we're just we're just we're just gassing each other up, you know. We're 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 it's a symbiotic relationship where we just love hearing that we've got good ideas. But I mean, like if somebody else put Mox Diamond in a deck that I had just <laughs> top forward with, I'd be like, why? Because you love discarding cards, idiot. Yeah, so that would just be the entire answer. I mean, that's that's Francisco's. Uh, actually, I have a habit of doing that uh, because my my revisions to Caleb's Tron build include Mox Diamond. So I just like take I, somebody's deck list that they did well I with. I'm like, add Mox Diamond. Revisions to Caleb's deck. They are very bad. Uh, I mean, they've been sweet. They've been sweet when I played it. Um, I mean, uh, the way that I have the deck built, it just like completely folds to to wasteland and dust bowl. So yeah, but Caleb's deck is invincible to a bunch of things that you just made your deck invincible to. Right? Like Caleb just doesn't have targets for a bunch of things that people play. No, no, no. I, I, like we. It's the other way around. I removed all the uh, Caleb's master course can get plowed. Yeah, and and you took out the master course. Caleb was invincible to disenchants. And you made his deck very disenchantable. But disenchant a mo mox diamond. Disenchant a mox one. There's two copies of mox diamond, and two like disenchant a mox is like a pretty high floor for the mox. Yep. Oh, come on, man. I mean, like, starting a land in a Tron deck is not is not a mana bonus. No, it's fine. It's 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 one. It's typically redundant Tron land. Two, like I said, you need all your mana sources because the deck has a lot of WW. You need your mana sources to all be gold because you can't like have islands busting your WWs. You can't have islands busting your plowshares turns, and you but can't you cut, play. You cut all the eggs. You can't commit. No, no. I cut two. I cut two eggs for two mox diamond. Just like just relax, okay? Just like yeah, relax for a I moment. I don't buy any of this nonsense. Um, the deck produces like a ton of colorless mana. You want to commit all your land like. You know, one of the things that's really awkward for a blue-white control deck to do is to spend three turns, any turns, playing colorless mana sources. So, uh, you know, you suggested Sky Diamond. I think that's fine, but it comes into play tapped, which is just like yeah, super bad. Yeah, you can't play the Osa play that way. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. So you're just kind of left in a situation where you have all this colorless mana. You really, really are starving for... Uh, for uh gold sources that's why i have city brass that's why i mock simon i guess we'll just like detour in anyways i took caleb's deck i was just like forget all these small ball cards all yeah. i care about power is power sink, sink. <laughs> power <laughs> sink prohibit no 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 prohibit mana short in one card i always have tron i like loaded up with portents we have impulse we so loaded up with portents. You could cast portent in Caleb's deck. Well, no. Well, I wanted. Uh, okay, so that is a good point. So one of the big reasons why you can't have any uh, any like islands or planes is that your your you, all your lands need to cast portent and sorts of postures, right? Because it's just going to be very common for you to be like, you know, my one colored land uh, portent, and then I'm like, I have to cast plowshares, but I also have to develop Tron. Like I said, you got to spend three straight turns. So. 
the only two ways you break that paradigm is by playing all gold lands uh, or playing Mox Diamond because, uh, again, you'll have access to that gold mana and you'll have access to it one turn quicker. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Mox Diamonds, you ditch your extra Tron lands. Ideally, you play your Mox Diamond, you pitch a City of Brass so you don't have to have a City of Brass on the battlefield. Um, yeah, you, why do you... And you add these unplayable cards. I hate City of Brass. I mean, like, I guess the only other option is like gemstone mine, and the the, the final reason either the final well, yeah, or or uh, or uh, forsaken tower. No, no, There's also the, you, you can't come into play tapped. The sleepy land because you, you make it sleepy. Yeah, that's true. That's maybe a consideration, but I mean, the big problem, right, is like you can't coastal tower because like you're not gonna yeah, like make Tron and tower. then play coastal tower, so. You have this problem. All your lands produce colorless mana. You want to spend three turns playing lands that produce colorless mana. How do you get over it? Like you can play eggs. Eggs you only use once. Uh, they yeah, but you, eggs like it's not just that you only use them once. They drive you forward, right? They're like, pretty. It's hard, they're it's pretty. Hard to explain why an egg is so good. Well, it's it's they're just like very anemic. Like draw a card for one is like uh, that's Alvaro's like, entire draw engine. Yeah, I know. Like. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that deck is anemic too, and Mox Simon's bl belonging in that deck. That's neither here nor there. You love um, Mox Simon anywhere you can. You could play Mox Simon in in Fluctuator. You would. I I mean that might be the only place I don't play it because it's uh it's like literally literally bad there. But um I would start with Mox Diamond probably improves your bad deck more than it hurts it unless there's like a compelling reason why it's not. Is Mox Diamond Allen Ivers? Yeah. So. So Land's theory is like Allen Iverson could take a good team. Oh, so take a bad team to like forty-five wins, right? Like you're not a good team. You stick Allen Iverson on it. Boom, forty-five wins. People talk about Allen Iverson. You take a great team. You put Allen Iverson. He will drag them down to forty-five wins. <laughs> so you're like in the bad team. Allen Iverson is scoring a lot. So people are like Allen Iverson. Then you take a great team. You stick Allen Iverson on it. He's like. Ellen Iverson takes so many shots. He doesn't play defense. The same things that would get a bad team five wins. Allen Iverson can pull a great team down. You heard it here first, folks. Mox Diamond is Allen Iverson. I mean, look, if any deck, any deck where you produce a substantial amount of card advantage or a substantial amount of mana advantage, uh, you're good, right? Because the the man, one mana advantage is card advantage, right? Like Ancient Tomb is a two for one. Uh, people just don't see it that way uh, because uh, you know they're they're blind, like. Uh, but also like because not a lot of decks can capitalize on colorless mana. So if you have a bunch of agent human city of traders, you can play Mox Diamond. Uh, you know your your two for one un undoes the two for one from Mox Diamond, and then if you have a soul land plus a Mox Diamond, you double ramped. Um, so uh, that's also good in Tron. Same thing. Like you have three lands, they produce seven mana. So like you don't need any more lands than that. Like you need one colored mana source and then you can just like sink all your lands and moxes and also start slamming power sinks <laughs> slamming well stroke a genius well that's also like a super good play pattern right because if you can turn three tron uh you know uh sort of like charitably you can be like turn one egg turn two impulse turn three tron mox diamond stroke for four or something like that why am i blowing my egg to cast impulse on turn two because so i they, can no longer do the thing that you said well so you can find so you can find tron like yeah, but now I can't cast any of the payoff spells. Well, thanks to thanks to Monk Diamond, you can. That's why this is a play pattern from Scram. You get a stroke for four <laughs> on turn three, and then the game's over. Because um, you just power sync them out, and then you stroke them and decree this, them out. This deck is so bad against Alvaro's deck. What the deck 
which is right. Oh, it's like, really bad against all. I mean, like there. pillage and pyroblast. I mean, my. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I guess this pawns a deck. Yeah, Alfaro just hates hates it when uh, you've got lands, pretty much. But um, in any case, um, uh, I've been I've been doing like a little testing there. I don't think there's anything there though. It's like a little bit too. Uh, like, anyways, I I thought that Caleb's Tron deck was not good at being a control deck and a little bit unexciting as a ramp deck. So I just like made the ramp deck that I wanted to make. Uh, and it's like basically a combo deck. That's just like way slower. Like I, I did some test matches against a variety of people. I did some test matches in David Tao. It was like sweet. I could put like five angels into play uh, pretty consistently. I'm like, you know, whatever I'm the mid game at the end of this, what is this, the 10th episode of we're on nine. On the ninth episode of Spike Colony, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a ring of humans. You are number nine. You are a Nazgul. You are, you know, you get to be immortal, also a slave to the ring. But you know, there's trade offs in life. But this is a tool that you can have. I think that you, even how you were talking about how you build replenish, I think you just don't have something in your tool set. This is going to be the unlock for you. This is like when I saw Osip not play his Signet <laughs> on the second turn, right? Do you know that there's some decks that just... It's not just that they have more than one plan. It's that, that they are more than one deck. And in certain mode, they are one deck. And in a certain other mode, they are another deck. And they are fully one deck, and they are fully the other deck. I think you think something about Caleb's deck that is wrong, because you don't understand that Caleb's deck is a perfectly passable tempo control deck in the way that a Tron deck is supposed to be a tempo control deck. Not like an overwhelming card advantage control deck. It just uses its counter spells and removal to stay alive in the, pre, in the pre-Tron uh, era. But then once it has Tron, it's just an over-the-top deck. You want it to be something else because you don't understand its identities. It is just a remand-throwing deck in the first few turns. No, no, and it I mean, doesn't want to be anything else. No, I mean, that's fair. Like, the reason why I, I'm not drawn to that, uh, because it doesn't have Portent, um, is that I don't like playing for a, like, I don't like playing for, like, a, uh, uh, like a middle range, right? So but I, it like, doesn't play for a middle range. It, is, it goes so much higher than everybody else, but it only goes so much higher than everybody else well, after a certain level. Well, let me, let me explain. So, like, you know, what you're, what you're describing is, like, uh, you know, I'm pretty, like, sensible to because... This is like the play pattern of the rock. Like the rock just stays alive, closes out the game. So uh, <laughs> I love how Tron you look at a deck that is like 117 out of 10, and you're like, this is very similar to this deck, which is 4.6 <laughs> out of 10. So <laughs> like, I'm like, what? So the the pattern you're describing is basically like a stay alive, you know, and then you hit, and then and then your your deck is gassed up, right? You just like make it to like the mid late game. You know, yeah, you've, you've staved it off with your sword supplashers. Three, take the damage. But like, that's not how I spent my the, turn. The problem, the problem that I always have is that, like, I don't want to miss. Like, I don't want to miss on on like the thing that matters. Like, basically, the rock has the same. Like, you make Tron. The the, the rock has a uh, drain charming, right? So, uh, like the Tron deck kind of can piece together either Tron plus decree or Tron plus stroke, and then it. It, it it has escaped the game. Then so it's booyah, baby. Yeah. So ideally, like this happens between turns. Like, I mean, I, I think Caleb's build can expect this to happen. Likely, like turn after turn six, I would okay. say maybe turn five. Turn five is like charitable. 
but like that's a range, right? So sometimes you like natural taunt on turn three. It's but a great day. You can't do anything with it. On a turn three and Caleb's deck. That's the thing. Well, yeah, you can go turn one egg. An egg. You can turn right? turn one egg, turn two uh, egg, Another turn egg. three, <laughs> turn three, Wrath of God, two mana float. <laughs> well, you can go um, turn one egg, turn two, egg plow, right? Turn three, big spell. Yeah, turn three, yeah, turn three, uh, draw four or make four guys. Um, so and then you're just off to the races. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so long as you can string together the strokes, because the, the deck is highly dependent on, you know, finding the next stroke. Uh, like, the first stroke is, like, super important after Tron, uh, unless you're able to just make four angels right away. Um, but anyways, my, my point is, I just don't like... Uh, so, like, let's take the Replenish deck as an example. So, the game plan of the Replenish deck without Mox Diamond is to use your Swords of Plowshares and your Seal of Cleansings to continue to extend the length of the game such like to the point that you like top deck your your opalescence i mean most games are replenished you like literally are just waiting for opalescence because like you're you're like state you know you're tiding you're waving you're like whatever but until you have opalescence you're like not doing anything that closes the game um so if you want to play this like control mid-range game you can like use your enchantments like like whatever uh my my version one of uh, you know, Lanny's Turbo Replenish had like all the Mox Diamonds, the Deep Analysis and Sideboard. I just like had the main deck. I had all the careful studies in the world. I had all the two men. I just like had all the card draw and like whatever. And I just like produced a deck that could like, you know, combo on turn three or four with yeah. like a lot of consistency. But it was, it was very much a one trick pony. It was pretty vulnerable to Goblin Lackey and like it could conceivably, you know, like whatever. Like so. Counterspell. Yeah, yeah, counterspell. So I kind of like half measured it, and well, counterspell plus pressure decks are always going to be hard. And then no, but I mean, just that deck that you've described, having played on the other side of it, was much worse against counterspell than certain other versions. Well, thanks to the deep analysis in the main deck plan, you you could escape, you know, your opponent because your opponent's plan, if they have counterspell in their deck, is to counterspell stuff until they win the game. So well, um, or they could just be like, look, you need to have replenish opalesce or opalescence to win the game right in in fact replenish for opalescence then as a corollary i need to deal with parallax side because parallax side can prevent me from my counter right so if you have but, deep analysis you can you can cast one every turn that's the, that's the whole point it's just like if you have deep if you have intuition for triple deep then for the next like five turns you're casting you know tied into tied into wave into or tied into tied into opalescence and you know tied into tied into tied into replenish or whatever like uh until you like stick one through so that's that's a fine plan against control, unless of course you're opposing control player. Um, I just played a playoff match in the online league, where uh, the first match I defeated the Rock uh, quite easily. Uh, in game two, they haunting echoes me, but I had exalted angel, uh, and then I played against uh, an opponent who was playing blue white, tied landstill. So just like a landstill deck that had access to tide combo. And like then, a Tom and Telsky special. Yeah, effectively. I mean, they had multiple copies of Tide and, and Seal, so they were definitely angling towards Tide much more heavy. But um, because they could Tide me out at any point, I could no longer execute my plan of like overloading their resources because they could Tide and then set me back on all my resources. But anyways, long story short, like the reason that I built Caleb's deck the way that I wanted, like I did, and the reason why I built... Uh, replenish and even the way that i built the rock right like you know like the whole concept of landing rock is just kind of like okay like what are the things that need to happen i need to have access to 
black and green mana, so that's the cycling lands, and I need as many Wall of Roots in my deck as I can, or Wall of Blossoms, rather, Wall of Blossoms in my deck as I can, because Wall of Blossoms, you know, glues together this, only like... Only good card in my deck. Yeah, exactly. It glues together this, like, so Cabal Therapy extra situation. extra three, even though they take... Yeah, and I'll <laughs> take a life. Damage. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, just conceptually, like, I don't love... Uh, and, and remember when I explained to you, I was just like, to me, a deck either has a 100% win rate or a 0% win rate in a given matchup. I'm just like, this always beats burn. It never beats burn. Like, it's never like, Wait, no gonna, deck of mine is like... If you're just going to talk about whether or not you could beat Aaron Dix, that's often true. Well, <laughs> so well, uh, but yeah, I'm just like, you know, you're like, oh, like, if you ask me, you're like, oh, Lanny, how's, how good is Grow Talk against Sansil? I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll win every match. Like, I'll win every single match against Sansil. Like, I don't really invite the concept of inconsistency into my decks because I just like don't like I don't ever like have it in my mind that my decks won't follow the narrative like you're just like okay well how does your replenish deck do against goblins it's like well I'm gonna have mox diamond or soul land in my opening hand and I'll replenish on turn three and then they'll lose and like don't get me wrong I'm still like a tactical player like I still play out scuffed games I still play out games that don't don't go, go according to plan but like the problem that I have with Caleb's deck is just kind of like it's got a bunch of like random one ofs. It's got like this like this thing and that thing. It's got these like small ball stuff, and I'm just like, yeah, I hate you're playing ball. Tron. Just crush him. Just Portent for the Tron piece that you need. Portent is just destroying them. Thing. So he, this is what you're doing. You're ch exchanging the ability to play like a, just a decent, fair control deck for a few turns. With the ability to get Tron online a turn faster, it's like it's like three turns faster. But in return, the sum total is now full of Power Sync and Mox. <laughs> I mean, if you want to play Prohibit over Power Sync, I'm like, I'm not gonna stop you. Like the oh Power God, Sync the thing Prohibit was just like a so bad. Prohibit but, is so bad. Well, it's it's in his deck. It's not it's, good. Prohibit and Mana Leak are are his like choice of choice of counter spells, and I'm yeah, just kind of like whatever. Those Wisconsin people think Prohibit's a playable magic card. I mean, either way, just like. Power I'd rather sync, have miscalculation. It's just, it's. I mean, miscalc I think is also in there, but it, it's like a blend of all three. And then there's like a random forbid or absorb or what. I don't think there's an absorb. There's no way. There's absorb, absorb is an ambitious card. Yeah, 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 yeah never mind. No, 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 it's not an absorb. Um, I got, I got things mixed up because uh, at our local, I played against both blue white Tron and blue white land still. But um, you beat them both. Yeah, but uh, the Tron player didn't fully understand uh, how to interact with the Hermit Feb combo, and then um, you know. Landstill's generally considered to be a good matchup. But uh, anyways, it's just like, you know, it's it's just how I think. It's how I think about magic. I'm just kind of like, okay, like, you know, what's my deck going to do? Like, what do I need extra copy? You know, like, I'm like, okay, it's, my, it's a Tron deck. I'm like, okay, well, how do I put Tron together? I'm like, well, you're telling me you're going to put Tron together with six eggs and four impulse? And then just like, I don't know. I don't know what turn. step. Yeah, and my draw set. I'm like, I don't know which turn I'm going to get Tron, but when I do, it's going to rule. I'm like, okay, well, every turn up until then, like, what happens if you have your stupid, like, Masticore in hand or your stupid, like, Stroke? Just, are you going to stroke for I cast, one? No, I just cast my stupid Prohibit gonna, until I just naturally you're draw You're going to decree for one? What, you've got your two Wrath of Gods. Like, how are you going to cast those Wrath of Gods? Just, what happens if you don't draw White White? Are you just completely uncomfortable with the concept of being the control? Which is weird because you're a Parfait player at heart. You just don't understand how to play the control. That is every control player every turn until they have won the game 
since 1995. I actually love this. I love this paradigm because this like, is. I am oh, going yeah. to lose until I win. Is how listen, listen to this take on the strategy versus tactics paradigm. Consider two ways to look at the game. One player is trying to make the game go as long as possible until they win. And the other player is trying to make the game go as short as possible until they win. No. Both players are trying to make the game go as short as possible until they until they win. One player is trying to build advantages, and one player is trying to kill the opponent. But the the, the control players don't want to play extra turns. If right. they're good, right? right. But just they want about, to win. But just think about that. Like, I mean, the core strategy of the rock is to like get both players to low resources and extend the game until like you know their their margin pays off. Right? They win a pawn early in the game, and then they use that advantage for the rest of the game to to grind their opponent's dust. Whereas like you know, fundamentally, uh, at whatever turbo replenish or even like parfait, like parfait is interested in staying alive until it wins. But like when you play the deck, like you're not really parfait, looking. Parfait is the beatdown. I just realized. Yeah, that. parfait is the beatdown. You don't understand how to play control. I this is flabbergasting to me. <laughs> like even the things that you're just like, oh, you know how we will beat the control deck with our blue white deck? How? By jamming a bunch of brain freeze. Like, <laughs> like, I now, this is crazy. You don't even understand what control decks do. <laughs> like, you're just like, I didn't get it before. Because I'm like, oh, Lenny's a control guy. He just sits here and he builds advantages and he like spins his little scroll rack and he draws nine cards. <laughs> These are all control things to do. Actually, you just love tapping mana. <laughs> you don't tap a lot of it, just like a beatdown deck. Just like the first turn Jackapup guy, you never have more than three lands in play. This is crazy. You're a beatdown. It's true. <laughs> just a beatdown. It's true. Like, it just, I could not have scripted this. <laughs> you don't understand how control decks go. You're just like, what are you going to do? Wait till your deck gives you the cards to keep playing and staying alive? Yes. <laughs> That's, I fill my cards. Like, and now I get it because I'm like, I like factor fiction. I like making my opponent make a decision. I always can get card advantage out of it, but I'm getting advantage by my opponent having to use mental resources. You're like, I like deep analysis. I like tapping mana. <laughs> my mana is tapped on my own turn. What are you going to do about it? Block? <laughs> That's, this is mind-blowing. The name of this episode is just a mind-blowing emoji. <laughs> Uh, we'll see if our listeners make it an hour and a half to this oh uh, to God, this gold mine. Well, we got to cut because I got I got to run a fart like before the Tau House. Part. All right. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Basically. I mean, you're right about that. Like, absolutely. Like, you know, conceptually, like, I I don't like pushing the advantage bar like one millimeter at a time. Like, I just like throwing it across the room or not having it at all. Like, I'm either like I said, it's a hundred or zero. Like, I either have advantage bar or I don't. It's not it's like weird that somebody who 20, plays blue cards. There's no concept. <laughs> then I'm, now I get it. You're just like, hey guys, you know what we can tap blue for? What, Lanny? A two-two for two. Then we can attack with it. <laughs> really? Trust me, it's the best card that you can play in the format. A two-two for two. One of it's blue, so it must be control. We're taking control of the game by attacking our opponent ten times. They won't be able to do any deep downs then. I mean, like, they can't play swords <laughs> of plowshares. That's a big. It's a big, big asterisk on that tutu. Yeah, um, the, the anti, anti, whatever. Wow, this is crazy. All right. Um, 
top eight: Kai Buda, Marco Del Pivo, Simon Nielsen, Javier uh, Dominguez. Simon Nielsen strung together a hell of a lot of top finishes, also. Yeah, yeah. Christian Calcano, hello. Calcano. Uh, the, so uh, the one and only ever top eight Magic Mockvitational champion, Christian Calcano. Um, I don't know what that means, but so there was a tournament called the Top Eight Magic Mockvitational. Brian David Marshall rented out the New Yorker Hotel to run the tournament. We had like, I can't remember if it was 8 or 16 players. Patrick Chapin came up. Conrad Kolos, who has like consecutive uh, U.S. National Championships top 8, came up. Uh, Calcano played in it. He literally rented out a room in the, in the New Yorker Hotel, which is where they... I won my second Pro Tour qualifier in the New Yorker Hotel in 1997. Um but uh yeah but bdm rented out uh a room and and we ran a tournament and uh i played survival of the fittest and uh and uh city of brass unsleeved in that tournament. Uh, nice <laughs> uh, i just like whatever sleeves uh, the, the, the format was bring your own block i brought survival of the fittest and i was was i didn't win any chips oh. uh, patrick chapin i don't remember who was in the top eight but Calcano won Oh, well, but Chapin he, came up from wherever the hell he's living at the same hope, at the hopefully time. Hopefully, he came up. <laughs> hopefully, he channels the that energy on a PT Sunday. Uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it's uh, very likely that this uh, topic will have concluded. Uh, also, Jake Beardsley, Stefano Vinci, and uh, Dominic Harvey. Uh, so I, we're just rooting for Kai. Yeah, uh, I I would not be unhappy with uh, Christian Calcano win. Uh, I would not be unhappy with a Javier Dominguez win. I mean, I don't. None of the people in the top eight are my enemies, uh, <laughs> but I would say uh, I would love Kai to win. Yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, then he he would be he would be the improbable girl, you know, just in in or the impossible girl, I should say, not the improbable girl, the impossible girl, just in honor of the upcoming Doctor Who uh, unplayable card set coming out. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't play it. You, you like why would they print magic cards if you can't play them pre modern? Like I don't. Understand. I've been I've been sending uh, Doctor Who cards to my sister. Like she's a big River Song fan. I just I don't know how the Doctor Who um, set was Genesis. But obviously, Gavin Verhey is uh, you know excitedly the the talking head. Who's, I think there's some like inside promoting. baseball about um, like uh, Hasbro purchasing like this uh, thing called like Studio something or other. Like it's like Studio X or whatever Project X in their like a. Uh, their content, like, you know, they're just a production company or like whatever, like they have a bunch of main titles. Uh, Doctor Who is obviously BBC, but a lot of the Universes Beyond stuff is like in connection with this, like, I don't know, business deal acquisition. Okay, well, I officially don't have enough time to run my fart like now, so I guess I'm just going to phone in 21 minutes on the on the elliptical no, just, machine and maybe throw some, throw some kettlebells. All right. No, the gym is going to close at 8. Oh, okay, well. That so still qualifies as 45. I need... 63 minutes to run the fire like if i don't take a 30 second break in between rounds or a sip of water right can you run I, a half I, a half fart no that's there's no point in that, man. i run i run three and a half miles on my off days right i was gonna run seven and a half miles and i have a race this week so uh and i and i phoned it in almost every day this week. well so uh lanny huang and the rest of the spike colony thank you for your sacrifice of a little bit of gym time to uh, tell me all about how I don't know how to play control. It's probably no, no, true. It's, it's probably not that true. you don't know how to play control. You have no concept. I have of no it. concept. It's like a new language to you. It's going to be exciting for me to see you take your giant 
how could you have been the best tech designer in the world and not understand how <laughs> control works? This is crazy. You are like some sort of dividing by zero genius. This is absolutely flabbergasting to me. You just want to attack with blue mana. You just want to tap all your mana every turn. Yeah. That's why you don't like... You can't appreciate land still because... Are you... Oh, actually, let's diagnose. Do you hate uncertainty? You hate uncertainty. That's why you want your matchups to be 100 or 0, right? Yeah. If, uh, if it's 100 or 0, those, that's certainty. Control lives in the world of uncertainty. Something might happen. Something might not happen. On average, we hope that it happens in our favor. And at some point, it can't happen in our opponent's favor anymore. They've given us too many points. There is a joy to this. There is an incredible joy in stealing their percentage. I want you to feel that joy someday. It is way better to feel that joy than to just tap and attack with a 2-1 with a for 2, for, for, for 1 or whatever. And here's the beautiful part. When you understand this mode of magic, you can take your beatdown decks and play them like control decks and people won't know what gear you're in. <laughs> and you can feel so smart because Burn can't do anything other than attack with a first turn goblin guide. Why would you even try? Well, this is this is great and <laughs> terrible and Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Michael J. Uh, this this has been Spike Colony episode nine. Love Spike Colony. Do you really not understand how control is? <laughs> is this actually what we've uncovered? That's insane to me. You uh, have always played blue since the first day I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Say love Spike Colony, Mike. <laughs> Oh, I, we're, we're still rolling? Yeah. Yeah, love, love Mike, love Spike Colony, we're still rolling. Game over.